Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Voyager. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to be looking at each other during I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Franica. You know, we heard about that Delta variant. We were like, let's start re- recording in person again. Yeah, now's <laughs> the time for that. <laughs> we're yeah. going to record like two episodes in person and then we're going to get locked down again and then that's it. God damn it. I mean, you you moved to LA and we barely did anything in person for our... <laughs> Our show that we had really had very few opportunities to do it in person. Yeah, before that, and uh, could have stayed in Seattle. Yeah, could have had a nice life there. Yeah, but I'm just choosing to appreciate it today. Let's, this is fun. Yeah, I'm. I'm really glad you made s- me a beverage. I did. I did. We have an event coming up where we had to come up with a cocktail for it, and and we were taste testing the cocktail earlier today. Yeah, tastes good. Does taste good. Okay, good. it tastes done. Uh, it's <laughs> I slammed mine already. Yeah, it's uh, the gold pressed cocktail, and uh, yeah, if you want to know the recipe for the gold pressed cocktail, sorry, we're not sharing it. <laughs> Are we not? You don't want to put it in the show notes? Maybe, um, maybe in a few weeks. You know, once once we've done the event. All right. You know. Yeah. I don't want to like leak it early. You know, that makes it less fun for the people at the event. Don't want to leak it early. Yeah. The, that's the problem of an older man. <laughs> uh, Adam, you had a great idea for a Marin yeah, this week. It, uh, it has to do specifically with my time in Los Angeles. One of the great parts of LA is its rich amusement park density, <laughs> right? So yeah. many options around. There's actually one amusement park per capita that's in right. Los Angeles. Every person gets their own personal amusement park here. It's great. I love that about LA. Yeah. But uh, my wife and I, every couple of years, we try to go to the Disneyland. Yeah. And it's something we didn't know that we liked until she went on a business trip to Japan many years ago. And I went with her because I've always wanted to go to Japan. Japan was awesome. 10 out of 10, awesome trip. If you have the opportunity to tag along on anyone's Japan trip, you should do it. (laughs) But one of the random things we did while we were in Tokyo was we went to Tokyo Disneyland. Wow. And that was the first time we went to a Disneyland property as adults. Because I went as as a small child. I remember really enjoying it. Yeah. My wife did too. I went twice as a kid and I uh, remember really thinking it was great. As an adult... And maybe because it was in Japan, because everything in Japan just runs perfectly, Mm -hmm. had a great time. Wow. It was excellent. Fast forward a few years after that, like between three and five years after that, we went to Disneyland again with Uh, a bunch of friends. We actually skipped 30 these days. We don't fast forward anymore. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Hit the skip 30. Went again, this time with some friends. Went to Disneyland in Anaheim. Great time. 10 out of 10. Wow. All adults, like no kids. Uh-huh. Like, it was, like, I want to be clear, like that's the vibe. Yeah. And then what was last week was three years after that, after the last time that we went, if you're putting that together, that timeline together. Yeah. So between every three and five years, my wife and I have gone. Yeah. And so we went back last week. We ripped the mask off of the Band-Aid, like getting back in big public gatherings. Wow. Uh, in a big time way, because we were at a full capacity Disneyland together- Last week. 
How much of grown-up Disneyland going is jazz gummy or boozy beverage induced? Like, because like I'm trying to think of it. Like, I'm not. Uh, I know that like there are like tons of adult Disney enthusiasts, and, and it's just, and my wife and I are not them. Put a couple of drinks and a jazz gummy. And a bunch of fun park food and a stroll in the parks riding rides is a fucking great day. It's cool. a great day. And we had a great day last week. But I, I might want to try it. You should. I think I think you'd like it a lot. Okay. All right. I don't want to push it on you as a thing because I know <laughs> like a lot of people don't like it. Yeah. There, are, there are a lot of negatives about it, I would say, wow. for some personalities. A jazz gummy can make almost anything tolerable. It's true. And... <laughs> Fairly recent development, not recent recent, but like you can get an alcoholic beverage in more and more places at Disneyland, and that wasn't a thing before a little bit ago. Yeah, that's a so pretty that, so recent really development from yeah. what I understand. Yeah, I think so. I think it makes it more adult friendly. But can you get a synthaholic beverage, Adam? You can't, Ben. And that is kind of what inspired this question I have. So I couldn't help but walk around Disneyland and especially like the new parts yeah. of it. Your your Marvel's world, your Star Wars universe, part <laughs> of the park. <laughs> and not be struck by the idea of like Disneyland is great at walling off these areas of the park that make them feel like you're in these worlds. Right. You're not standing in Star Warsopolis and seeing the old-timey country railroad or whatever. Not at all. It's great at that. And I had, I was thinking, like, why isn't there a Star Trek amusement park? And are we sure there aren't designs on one as we speak? Because you think about the growing universe that's happening with all these new shows. Yeah. You can feel There's when you watch- 17 Star Trek shows currently in production. A lot of people don't realize that. When you watch those shows, it feels like the edges of the universe are being pushed out a little bit to accommodate the idea of not just guys on a starship driving around meeting different aliens like there are <laughs> telling them what's wrong with their culture <laughs> there are like places to go with identities yeah. and stories all their own and as i was walking especially through the star wars part of the park i was like what would a star trek theme park look like were one to exist and i feel like you and i could come up with great ideas okay about what it would be like there all right, so it's it's got to have lands, right? Like there is there's going to be the Federation headquarters land. Right. There's going to be Kronos. Yeah. There's going to be Vulcan. There's going to be Vulcan. The core alien species of Star Trek are going to be there. I got, you got to rep those. You might want to have like a Deep Space Nine or or space station-y kind of environment. Is there not a Risa? Is, is Deep Space Nine... Is the the hotel yeah. attached to the park. I feel like it is. Man, how cool would that be? You're you're bombing down the 405, get get off in Anaheim, and you can see the, the, the upper pylons. Yeah. <laughs> it would be great. <laughs> did you ever go to Star Trek Experience in Las Vegas? I didn't. I've, I, uh, I have heard a lot of uh, great stories. Our, our buddy Jesse Thorne went, I think, after it had been stripped of its license. Whoa. So it was like- What a uh, weird time to go there. It was like the Star Trek bar, but all of the logos had been like peeled off of things i went when i was a kid 
a kid's a great age to go to Las Vegas, really. <laughs> Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah. But uh, the I remember really enjoying the experience, but I also wonder if the experience wasn't a reason that no one's trying anymore to do right. it, it, because it's it's difficult. But back, back in the mid-90s, I feel like the universe wasn't as large as it is now, and maybe you couldn't push out into the into the different worlds at yeah. the time. It was just a TNG universe. If I could go with you and a couple of buddies and do the Kobayashi Maru on a bridge simulator, yeah. I would I would pay $500 to do that. <laughs> I got to tell you one of the biggest letdowns of Disneyland was the Millennium Falcon escape ride. Oh, man. They split you into three teams, right? You're the pilot's team, you're the weapons team, and you're the engineer's team. Uh Uh-huh. And you could see how this could be moved into a Star Trek-type environment fairly easily. Sure. By doing it this way, but but because the ride is situated face forward and all the controls are to the side, like, my wife and I are in the back of the engineer station hitting buttons, completely missing the fun of what's happening on screen. And so it was a letdown that way. But I was thinking like of all of the, all the shuttlecraft accidents that have ever happened (laughs) in Star Trek, you've got to believe that like an easy way to port over that kind of ride is like the shuttlecraft escape ride. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. On the pistons with this, with the screen. Right. And and you could like use the same technology to also like every park needs to have its it's a small world yeah. like the ride that is like there's not really anything to it yeah and the shuttle to uh, you're the captain and you're getting a shuttle ride to your new ship uh, ride that would be great <laughs> that reminds me of of Peter Pan we ride we rode the Peter Pan ride at Disneyland and that is so much a like chill hang. <laughs> Like float above a city, forced scale, yeah, like yeah. kind of vibey experience. And that would be a great cold ride. You need a cold ride in a hot park right. in Southern California. And that would be a really good one. I think Chrono uh, Schland would be where your Mr. Toad's wild ride analog would probably have to happen. Yeah. Like, uh, what do they, do they have like a name for the neighborhood that Picard goes to that everybody's like, don't go there? I mean, yeah, there's there's the Orion Bazaar on Kronos too, right? That oh, we learned yeah. about on Discovery. Yeah, I feel like Discovery did a great job in filling in the colors of that world mm-hmm. a little bit more. Oh, you could, yeah, you and could it, see it. It's fun, like you go into the men's restroom on, in Kronos Land, and they've got like stacked urinals <laughs> for your double dicks to piss into. Wouldn't it be great? Like those <laughs> details are not expensive details, but. Yeah. But they totally work. Yeah, they help make the illusion more real. Couldn't you imagine like the Fast Pass app on your phone being an isolinear chip style thing that yeah. you're using to navigate the park? Yeah, or even you get a com badge and the things you that, get a com badge. that you load onto the com badge ahead of time, it like Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Yeah. That would rule. All the food. The food in Bev is like I think one of the areas you could really shine in a Star yeah. Trek park. Neelix's restaurant, least popular restaurant in the park. Yeah, very bad. The Klingon restaurant, very popular. Yeah. Got very. a lot of a lot of noodle dishes. It's really an Italian restaurant in disguise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you've got 10 forward, right? You want to be able to go like I think that also like being an adult Disney fan, like I think that Star Trek 
Star Trek's core fandom is a little older, mm-hmm. so you're going to want that synthahall access. One of the coolest parts of the Star Wars part of the park was the cantina. Yeah. Which was mega popular, and the wait was longer than it should have been to go in and have a drink for 30 minutes. Yeah. But it was so beautiful inside and so detailed. They just did it. And the horseshoe-shaped bar was set up in such a way where you could see the science fiction-y aspects of the drinks being made and the uh-huh. weird animal that that shat out the boba that would go into the weird boba <laughs> drink. Like, it was all... Like, the world felt very lived in and real there in a Damn, fun way. Like. Cool. Like that in a in a Star Trek bar, I think there are enough details you could make possible there. Like, right? Imagine the the feeling like you were replicating a meal. Like, what if you went to a restaurant in a Federation part of the station that had the Cheesecake Factory menu, and the joke was that you really could get anything, <laughs> and the menu was giant because you're replicating it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea of the like fantasy sort of like piercing into your reality and the way a theme park can play with that and the way this episode of Voyager plays with that, Adam. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we're going to keep hitting on the themes of the creation of a Star Trek land. We're going to be very persistent. <laughs> In, our in that drumbeat vision of what that could look like. Yeah, I agree. By far the worst pivot we've ever had <laughs> into show here, Ben. It's Voyager Season 2, Episode 8. Persistence of Vision. Revert course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> I feel like we got this with Picard, and we probably got it with Cisco too. Like the... Captain is a workaholic theme is something that runs through Star Trek. This episode starts with the captain marching her way down to engineering. Paris is on the radio telling her about a navigational analysis he's run. He wants to share with her, but she's late to her meeting. Everybody wants a piece of her around this Botha space that they are about to be flying through. The, the Bothans, many of them died to get us the information. <laughs> that the Voyager needs. <laughs> Isn't that what kind of people died to get them the information about the new Star Destroyer? The oh, Jedi? really? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Doesn't Mon Mothma say something about Bothans dying? Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Ah, ah, he said it! He said it! You know, for how much I wanted to talk about Star Wars land <laughs> in the Marin, I don't have that one. Uh. I do not get that reference. See, my joke was going to be far worse. It was going to go like between Neelix and this new alien race competing for uh, Janeway's attention. She doesn't have time for Botha. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, both of them want a piece of her. (laughs) I thought this was a time travel episode up front because she's back to her two episodes ago, Bun. Time travel. Oh, yeah. She's back to Bun, Ben. Yeah. I feel like there is something going on with that, like, we produced a bunch of episodes that were meant to air as part of season one and are now airing them as part of season two. So there's some hair continuity issues going on. Have you ever gotten a haircut and it was in, it ended up being a bad haircut and then you just try to brute force it into looking the way it used to look <laughs> before the haircut and it just never works? Yeah. Yeah. 
Janeway's pulled it off here, though. She looks great. <laughs> she, she did it. Yeah. She, the scientist said it couldn't be done, but yeah. she did it. She cut a third of her hair a couple episodes ago and, and grew it back. Yeah. So they're down in engineering trying that hollow emitter thing for the dock that they talked about a couple episodes ago. The idea that maybe there are some other parts of the ship that we could set up hollow emitters and he could join us on the bridge and in engineering and a few a few other key places. Like he won't be able to go everywhere, but he'll be able to move about the cabin <laughs> now that the captain has turned off the fasten hollow emitter sign. <laughs> The potential for this is great, but the experiment turns out fairly embarrassing once they realize they've got a little dock. Yeah. (laughs) They keep doing this, right? They keep squishing him for comedic effect. They do that treatment to his voice to make him sound a little chipmunky. Yeah. Just a small oversight. No pun intended. Burnout is real, though. Like, he can tell that she is getting short with people. She's snappy. She's not her best self because she's not taking breaks. She's not eating... She's on a coffee-only form of diet, which <laughs> is not great in a lot of ways, yeah. Captain Janeway. The uh, the transporter chief is really working overtime yeah. to beam the poops out of her butt. No wonder she's walking so fast. Somehow, I will find half an hour. So he pulls rank. A precedent-setting move where a hologram pulls rank on a corporeal member of the crew. Yeah. He tells her, you got to take a break. You got to go do your horny... Fuck program. Fuck program. Holograms orders. <laughs> I thought it was interesting we see so many angles of the dock in this scene that they set up a false floor for his digital self to stand on. Oh, wow. Did you notice that? Uh, I kind of thought that they were doing it with green screen, but you're saying like they they like built a... Well, I mean, I mean the camera is is bisected by what looks like a digital floor on the, on the reverse shot. Oh. Like when they reverse shot it back to Janeway's face and they yeah. they kind of shoot what is a what's dirty. If you could even call it dirty when you see <laughs> the doctor's entire body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the character is a action figure in the yeah. foreground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought uh, like you could see a little stripe of what looked like uh, a fake floor there for oh. him to stand on in order to make the effect work yeah. with the camera yeah. because you can't like you can't sink the camera through the floor in order to get the angle on on right. Kate Mulgrew's face. Right. They had to they had to fake it. Yeah. It looked good. It, yeah. it was a fun effect. Yeah. So yeah, she heads into that program. I I guess she's getting dressed in her ready room when she stops to take a look at a photo of her and Tom Mervin's with I think a different dog than we've seen him with in previous photos. We need some dog continuity here too. What the hell happened? Where did they get this other dog? You know how you can buy those picture frames for grandma that you can like send your digital photos to uh-huh. and upload to keep her in touch with their life? <laughs> like if the only piece of technology on Voyager that could actually connect back home was these frames. And so over the course of time, the dog kept changing. <laughs> I wonder what he calls that one. I may never know. <laughs> She clearly has a great affection for this image of herself with Tom Mervins, but with what she's about to do in the Hollow novel, I thought she might have been better off putting the picture face down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because she gets into the Hollow novel and uh, Lord Burley is kind of zero to 60 with her. He is confessing his love for her like right before his kids and the evil housekeeper come in. 
It's an interesting technique that this show does in an equal and opposite way to Deep Space Nine, because Deep Space Nine really made hay out of uh, Bashir and O'Brien on their way to the Hollow Suite and how ridiculous they look. Yeah. Janeway would look just as ridiculous walking to to the holodeck in what she's wearing, but you yeah. never see that interstitial scene right. for good reason. Yeah, I feel like uh, Picard had to like get on the view screen with an alien once or twice dressed as Dixon Hill, and yeah, and it's always like a little bit humiliating. They don't humiliate Janeway. Yes, yeah. the the governess dress could be played for that, and it has not been so far. And for the entire episode, like there is crew knowledge of what she does in the holodeck, and is it is never played for a laugh. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because it really threads the needle between DS9 and TNG, which is that DS9's hollow suites were fuck palaces, and TNG kind of implied that that could happen a little bit here and there, but it never quite felt masturbatory in this way. Like, this feels like... The bodice is going to get ripped if she hangs out in the holodeck a little bit longer. And it's cool that the crew is like not judgmental of that. They're like, yeah, get your bodice ripped, Janeway. Like, that's what people do when they go in the holodeck. It's so much more of a necessity, like like a medical necessity on Voyager to go in there and fuck. <laughs> you need to do this because like on Deep Space Nine, the hollow suites were kind of like a fling activity. Like, yeah. like you could, you could fuck a lot of people. Ships are coming and going like constantly. There's the variety there. Yeah. But you need the, the hollow variety. Right. Yeah. You really do. I also thought the scene was interesting. Cause like when the kids come in, it almost felt like Janeway was trolling them initially. It's revealed that she has, like, made a misapprehension, but she's, like, telling Lord Burley that the daughter is, like, awesome at piano. Beatrice turns out to be quite musical. And everybody's like, no, she really sucks at piano. You do not know what you're talking about. And this is that the mom is still alive and living in the house, but she can't go to the fourth floor. They, uh, intentionally or not, really ratchet up the scary robot nature of the Burley kids. Yeah, yeah. They are uh, children of the corning quite a bit. Yeah. And Miss Templeton, the housekeeper lady, is is also really scary in her own way. Kids are perceptive, though. They can tell that Lord Burley has a cucumber in his pants <laughs> for, uh, for Janeway here. That's why he has no appetite for the cucumber sandwiches. Right, right. He doesn't like seeing him cut up like that. He already has one in his pantaloons. <laughs> In his plus fours, <laughs> is that what they are? Uh, I don't know. I, I just made a guess at what pants would be called. They're probably pantaloons. Yeah, I don't know. I don't plus, know anything. Plus fours are like those golf pants that like come down a qu- three quarters of the way. All right. Yeah, it's a total scandal. This whole Beatrice on the piano thing. Yeah, and it's weird how it's coming out. Like almost, almost feeling like. Janeway is like throwing everyone off the scent of what just went down with her making right. out with Lord Burley. Like, uh, I'm going to put a lot of business out and it's like a distributed denial of service attack on everybody's <laughs> perception of what's happening in this room. <laughs> They're like, can you believe she brought up the piano playing? What? She they, like, whips totally out forget. a dust buster and just starts shooting things in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Chakotay interrupts Lord Burley's boner. <laughs> 
with a message. It's time for the bothan. Janeway comes up to the bridge, and one of the many people that tried to get her attention early in the episode was Neelix. He really wanted to talk to her about what's going on in this part of space. You know, they they have a flight plan through the part of space that the Botha control, but Neelix has been hearing some rumors, and so this is her crash course in what's been said, and he's kind of talking about other neelixy types that he keeps in touch with and how word is ships are going missing around here without any warning and without any explanation. They're sort of entering the Bothan Triangle. This both a FaceTime is funny to me. And we throw a lot of shade on the whole like how thoughtful it is to get up on FaceTime with a new alien and just see what they're working with. <laughs> yeah. And this Bothan alien looks like they're broadcasting from the club before it opens. <laughs> like like they haven't hit doors yet, but the lights cue has happened. Right. And he's up there at the DJ station. Right. Like they haven't started playing the music yet. <laughs> <laughs> the light show hasn't started, yeah. but the lights are on full. He is telling Janeway that he needs to determine whether or not they meet the criteria for passage through their space. And they're going to have to meet up to do that. Yeah, he's coming with some real tood as they discuss this. He says a ship is going to be sent out to them to see if they pass muster. But he he's pissed that they're even here to begin with. Why have you entered our space without permission? And I thought it was interesting that he went from being pissed that they were here to... Like, all right, we'll give it a, a look-see and see if we think we can accommodate your request to travel through our space. At this point, it's unclear if they're outgunned or not, you know? And it's also unclear whether or not if Voyager outgunned the Bothans, whether or not they would just go through their space yeah. because they could. Yeah. I thought it was so interesting because, like, all of this puts me ill at ease, you know? Like, we can't see the guy's face. They talk about that. Like, maybe that's, like... Maybe that's game. And you don't trust Neelix and whatever he has to say about anything. Yeah. I mean, all all of Neelix's behavior feels like trauma response, and that's just not good good uh, stuff to, yeah. to go on as a rational crew. Right. But so they decide, all right, I guess we're going to wait for this Botha ship to show up. And uh, Neelix calls the captain on the fact that she has not been making it down to the restaurant with as much frequency as she s- should. Captain uh, Janeway is so nice because at this point in time i would have been like fuck off <laughs> stop trying to care for me this is what makes me a bad patient in real life yeah. like because i don't want to be cared for like i just want to be left alone when i'm sick it's like the other side of the coin with your you never want to bother anyone yeah you never want anyone to bother you yeah it's a bit of like the dark side of the golden rule which is like <laughs> when you have like a slightly fucked up way you want to be treated <laughs> Yeah, I got a lot of problems and I don't tell anyone how I would like to be treated either. So I just like, I allow them to make the mistakes that I hold grudges against yeah, them for. Yeah, you just simmer. Yeah, it's bad. Sometimes late at night, I wonder which things I have done to, to upset you. I'd never tell you, Ben. Yeah, that's the really challenging thing about being friends with you. Neelix is like, uh, I bet I have eight to ten things that could help your mood right now. And they're all configured in this buffet format. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's take a walk down the buffet. And this is another thing I couldn't deal with. Don't make me a plate. Don't load up my plate at Thanksgiving. I want to make the plate. Is he making the plate for her? Yeah. Oh, wow. Because I thought... 
I thought he was making it for himself and that she didn't. She That's just, kind of a funnier take on it, though. If, if like he goes through the buffet like, first. Wow, look at all this great looking food. I forgot I made all this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like if he's making it for her, like fuck off, Neelix, for sure. Yeah. But if he's making it for himself, that kind of rules. They get to the end of the buffet line and the spooky thing starts to happen, which is like, isn't that Mr. Burley's cucumber? I don't like the way cuts <laughs> At the end of the line. Yeah. Is that Mr. Burley's cucumber on your buffet, Neelix, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Burley's cucumber sounds like a late 90s Morgan Freeman movie <laughs> title, you know? <laughs> 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 like total Oscar bait yeah, movie. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's such a powerful performance. I know. So much gravitas. I don't believe it should have won Best Picture, though. <laughs> it's cucumber sandwiches and the same cup that Beatrice broke in the holodeck. Yeah. And that's weird. And Janeway is like asking questions about this. She's, she's like, why cucumber sandwiches? Nobody really likes those. I want cucumber sandwiches. You'll wait your turn, young man. Janeway's so smart and scientific. I would not have noticed this. I would have been tired and hungry going through the buffet <laughs> line like, cool, let me load up on these sandwiches and I'll be on my way. So she winds up walking down a hallway by herself and passes some anonymous crew member and starts hearing Lord Burley talking and you know like whips around thinking like the crew member is making fun of her or something but clearly he is not the person speaking but we start to get the distinct impression that the captain is losing her mind at this point which is a pretty scary idea and like i think that uh, we've talked a little bit about like the horror genre choices that could be made in this show and and often aren't and i think this is a really creepy episode but it is not arch in its use of horror tropes. The music is pretty understated in terms of how it is evoking these feelings. It also turns away from a fairly consistent Star Trek trope, especially an early Star Trek series that constructs a threat out of a captain who is suffering in this way. Right. Like from Jump, we all feel a great amount of compassion for Captain Janeway. We do not feel threatened by her in this state in a way that we've gotten a lot of Picard like that. Right, yeah. Especially. Yeah, Malibu Picard is going to yeah. do something really horrible or whatever. Yeah, and like she is fully like seeing the kids from the hollow novel in the hallway and immediately is like something is wrong with the holodeck because emitters are being installed on the ship and I'm seeing my, my holodeck shit everywhere. That's scientifically minded Janeway coming up with a, a rational solution to this problem. And I love the Star Trek shorthandness of it. Like mm -hmm. that, like it's an idea that we could have had on TNG, but it would have taken a McLaughlin group issue one and Jordy speculating about it before we could get to it. But this is like smash cut to engineering where she's like, something is going on with what you're doing because I'm connecting these two dots in my mind. Occam's razor, something is going on with the hollow emitters that is causing my program to spill out into the rest of the ship. Can you explain this? And Harry and Bolana are like, uh. <laughs> I just thought we had a little doc. <laughs> Very amusing. I didn't know the rest of this was going to happen. Yeah. BLT uses the word delusions when describing what Captain Janeway is going through, which I thought was an extremely heavy word. Yeah. I think it's actually a very accurate word because... Right. Uh, it made like me a think a lot about how 
how we would use that word today. It, with like, a, it's, it's loaded when yeah. you say delusion. Yeah. And yeah, like she's remarkably sanguine when she uses it. Right. I think that the episode does occasionally use hallucination interchangeably with delusion, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because like there is a distinction. Like a delusion is a thing that you see as there that isn't there, but you don't know it's not there. Like Mm -hmm. you really are, you're seeing it in a way that is convincing. Whereas a hallucination is like a visual effect or whatever. Like if you take LSD and the pattern on the curtain is going through permutations, like you, you know that the pattern on the curtain is not really going through permutations because you took LSD two hours ago and you're starting to get visual effects. Right. So they decide to run an experiment with Captain Janeway inside the holodeck. And this was an opportunity to make fun of her not taken. Like on the inside of the holodeck, Janeway is in there interacting with Lord Burley. You don't see Janeway from the waist down, but like it's an immediate basement flooding (laughs) as soon as Burley's on the scene. So much so that she's got to like delete his program. (laughs) (laughs) Like, from engineering, BLT and Harry Kim are like, we're noticing actually an increase in... There's a lot of humidity in the lower half of the room. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us if you're seeing just sort of a a wet fog in there? One time I took my computer into the Apple store to get like a network problem fixed. Like I couldn't connect to Wi-Fi and the tech did some stuff. He didn't look in your tax documents, did he? Uh, well, it was a lady and she did some stuff to the like network settings and then like went to the browser and like did that thing where she started to type a URL and like it does like oh, the suggestion no. and I totally got caught with a porno site autofilling. Oh shit. <laughs> and I want to be clear. It was just the URL that autofilled. We did not go to the actual site, but she was like totally classy and professional about it in the way that BLT and Harry are here. She, yeah. Janeway has asked them to, like, do diagnostics on her fuck program. God, it's really true. They're such good friends. They really are. I admire the hell out of this. Yeah. Yeah, nicely done. I've got to get that platinum, get that robe enlargement. <laughs> One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. 
And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that Latinwood knob. Are you planning a heist? Go on. So the experiment is a failure because... BLT and Ensign Kim don't detect anything out of the ordinary, like outside of the basement flooding, nothing programmatically wrong is happening. That would be proof of of the delusions. Like there's no connection between them. There's no connection. So she basically says, like, keep looking into this still most likely scenario. I'm going to go change. (laughs) (laughs) Again. (laughs) And after she does that, she goes back to Neelix's restaurant, and this is a blind study. She asks him about some of the dishes that were on offer and some of the drinking vessels that were available at lunchtime here in the galley. And his memory of what went down is a little different from Janeway's. He does not remember Lord Burley's cucumber. He does not remember (laughs) the fancy teacup. He wasn't at the same lunch as her. You and I know that no one should ever learn any food safety lessons from watching Star Trek. <laughs> and I feel like we've come back around to that theme utterly in this scene. When you see Neelix peeling a vegetable with a full-on chef's knife, <laughs> like pulling it towards his hand and thumb. Yeah, he's doing he's doing the paring knife thing. Of you don't do that with the chef's knife? The blade going at you. Oh, it gave me the, it totally creeped me out. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if Ethan Phillips is doing that on purpose, just like put unease into the scene. Maybe he wants some time off work. (laughs) (laughs) It just seems like an easy way to go to the emergency room. Yeah, it really does. He is like 
trying to play along here, but is very confused. And Janeway does take this as evidence that she is not as connected to reality as she needs to be. It's a great Ethan Phillips performance here because he middles the poles of feeling sorry for someone who is clearly going through a thing or being so nothing's wrong captain right, about it right. that it that that would also feel false like he he manages to go right between those two feelings in a believable place weren't there cucumber sandwiches i don't even know what that is i really liked it and i also really like the way the six base scene goes she's getting her head scanned by the doc who is not finding any evidence of damage to her brain, but there's a lot of things you have to rule out in a Star Trek episode to figure out why somebody is seeing shit that's not there. Yeah. And like, I love the kind of like half list of things that he rattles off that could be at play here. I don't feel like I've ever gotten a good sense of like, can the tricorder pick up if somebody is telepathic? Is there something measurable happening there? Like it must be right. Like there must be something that is being transmitted between people if a telepath can pick up on something. That's so interesting. Like if it's a radio wave type of detectability. Yeah. Like, is it measurable in some way? And can the doc do that? I mean, and it does seem measurable, or at least in the case of this episode, as we'll find out, but he hasn't ruled that out yet. So that's uh, something he's going to look into. And he's kind of talking about all of the many things he's going to have to try when Kess starts feeling these effects too. She gets walloped with chilliness. I thought this was a unexpected moment for Captain Janeway's sense of humor to appear mm-hmm. because like it's it's it feels like a very haunted mansion type of type of moment here. Yeah. She's like, why does the doctor have control over the thermostat in Six Bay when when he is merely a hologram? Why do men always set the thermostat? Captain Janeway asks the doctor, who do you see here? And the doc says, I see you. A lot of bits flying around in Six Bay, and uh, they're having fun with it. (laughs) Kes can see the the little girl, though. And when Kes sees her, it's like she's repelled by Kes and turns into like a cloud of mist that is absorbed into Janeway's chest. Did you get this? The first time you saw it, because they're talking about how Kes can repel her. I just thought the little robot girl wheeled around of her own volition and slimered <laughs> Captain Janeway because she wanted to. I didn't think that it was Kes's doing at all. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how slowly they roll this mechanic out. Like, they talk about, like, it's like a mirror and the thing is reflecting off of it or something. But I'm not positive that the, like logic of the episode is flawlessly executed like there were a couple of times where i was like what and this was one of them but then i felt like later i was like oh like i see this is a mechanic that happens a couple of times Mm -hmm. and so there's something about kess that does this but they like don't belabor it with explanation in this scene which i think is intentional but it does like feel a little bit like confusing i love that kess chooses this moment to disclose that she's been practicing telepathic experiments yeah. I feel like the captain should know about this when they begin and not just incidentally to this moment. I'm truly dismayed that you told no one of what you were doing. It's a real lol situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A really 
fun bit of business happens here because we cut to the exterior of Six Bay. Captain Janeway is is returning to her quarters for rest, and she orders another one of her fucking boring soups, <laughs> and then changes her mind into coffee ice cream. There's coffee in that ice cream. Who alts their own food order that wildly? That's pretty. That's a pretty big swing. I feel like my wife kind of will do that. She'll be like, should I get the soup or the chicken tenders? And it'll be like, I can't believe you're entertaining both. I don't want to turn this into husbands be like and wives be like, but exactly (laughs) wives be like that. Yeah. I'm like deciding between the burger and the Cuban. Yeah. (laughs) My wife is like uh, vegetable lasagna or the whole trout. (laughs) How do you have the taste for both of those things? Yeah, Yeah. It's great. But then there's a thump in her quarters and she checks it out. And I like this scene because you get a little bit of a tour of Janeway's quarters a bit and how she walks into one door and into her like living space. And then she walks through the, the, there's not a partition, but she walks into the area where her bedroom is, where she walked in originally. Yeah. And you see the bed and the, and the Shay Long there or whatever. And then she hears Tom Mervyn's voice. Yeah. And he's very... Very disappointed in how she's been spending her time. Kind of an ugly look for Tom Mervyn's. Like, he doesn't want his wife to have jack-off fantasies. Like, what the fuck, man? Everybody has a fantasy life. What's great about this scene is Captain Janeway pushes back hard. She's like, what have you been doing to our family dog? (laughs) Killing each one over a period of months. How dare you? (laughs) You kind of wonder when the 25th Amendment kicks in (laughs) in this episode. Like, we're like... Go on. (laughs) Not quite to the halfway mark, but pretty close. And Janeway has been seeing shit that's not there the whole time. Yeah. When are arrangements made to take her out of the command structure? And when Mrs. Templeton jumps her with a knife in her own quarters and she uh, comes to in Six Bay is is the when. They they realize, like, she's going to have to put Chakotay in charge. And it's tough, right? Because there's like this big touchy diplomatic thing coming up with the Bothans. She doesn't want to be off work, but she's just not well. I love how they don't treat you like a baby here with this delusion. Like the cut to the corridor isn't in a fisheye lens. The music cue doesn't change. Right. You're really with her all the way. And I love that it feels so real instead of, beginning camp there like by the time she's back in six bay and tuvok is like waking her back up from the delusion it really feels startling yeah it's well done i think tuvok seemed a little bit unvulcan you are all right captain he roughs her up a little bit like airplane (laughs) yeah yeah he doesn't neck pinch her or anything yeah but um kes is like Telling the captain, like, I'm starting to perceive some stuff, too. I think that you're not the only person that's being affected by this. Something fishy is going on here. Yeah. So Chakotay takes over. He's going to be the one to conduct their negotiations with their potential hosts in this part of space. And it's a bit of a tricky thing because the Bothan guy on the screen claims to be very particular about matters of protocol. Chakotay has to kind of... Explain, well, our protocol is that I'm in command right now. Our protocol is Captain Janeway can't come to the phone right now. Can I take a message? (laughs) Yeah. 
your policy is that uh, you don't take returns after seven days. My policy is this was broken and I couldn't get here before seven days. Chicote is like, our whole party is here. Like, Captain Janeway is just parking the car, okay? <laughs> you can seat our party now. <laughs> we didn't want to pay the valet, okay? Sue us. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Tuvok kills the transmission here of his own volition. I was shocked by this. Yeah. This kind of freelance move here. Freelance move, but everybody agrees, like, something weird is going on. We think there are ships decloaking off the port and starboard bows. B-Dunks has a great take here. Did you notice this? He wheels around at the helm, and he's got a total, like, open-mouth take at the end of, I think there's cloaked ships out there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think there's cloaked ships out there. True enough, there are, and this turns into a space battle pretty quickly, and the bangers, they're not just happening on the bridge, they happen down in Six Bay. Chakotay's like, you guys were the ones that were paranoid about us! Why are you attacking? (laughs) Yeah, I kind of wondered if this was going to go the direction of like, well, we had to assess the abilities Mm -hmm. of your ship in combat Uh direction. Because that was kind of the the line that this Bothan guy was pursuing. And I don't remember if his voice sounded anything like that. But uh, This is a fun Hackman and Crimson Tide moment. Once the the bangers get dropped, Captain Janeway, like, feels the bangers and she's like I'm I'm going to the bridge. She she checks herself out of the hospital. Things are not going great on the bridge. It's, it's got to like, be a relief when the doors open and there's no girders down. Right? right. Yeah, that's true. There's some sparks flying but no girders there's are There's no one been... for a Captain Janeway to abandon. Yeah. Yeah. She gets on the FaceTime and it's it's no longer the Botha guy. It's Tom Mervins. Tom Mervins and yet another beloved dog. That <laughs> <laughs> he's choking. Tom Irvins is like, this is Sprinkles. That's who Janeway sees, but we kind of cut around the bridge and we see who other people see. We see who Chakotay sees. It's Spirit Mervins. Yeah. We see who Tom Paris sees. It's Admiral Mervins. <laughs> we see who Ensign Kim sees. It's Mervins Delaney. <laughs> <laughs> we get actually get to get inside Tuvok's head a little bit and see she who is his wife. Yeah. And we like go to Vulcan with him and stuff. It's interesting whose imagination we get to live inside and whose we don't. There are so many moments in this episode where I'm like, wow, I kind of thought that this was a Janeway episode, but I guess it's a Kess episode or yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. it's a Tuvok episode. Like it really does a nice job of passing the baton from character to character and like letting us feel how this was for them in a way that I think is really hard to do. It's gotta be crazy to be the actor who played Libby to like her. She hasn't even left the parking lot from shooting her episode a couple of episodes ago when her character is being referred to again. Yeah, yeah. On a subsequent episode. Yeah. That's got to be a special kind of anguish for an actor, right? To know there's a possibility there of returning and not getting one. Right. You got to hope that you're going to be like a running concern as an actor. I mean, any time you get cast and not killed, you yeah. hope like, oh, maybe they liked me and they'll bring me back. Yeah. If either of us played Libby, we would be very hurt by this moment. <laughs> yes. Like devastated. Take it super personal. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. This is one of the areas where I think that the episode maybe is a little bit weak in its own internal logic, which is that Janeway seems like way more immune suddenly than everyone else. I think it's weak across the board with how 
Some people succumb to it extremely and others don't. And then sometimes they succumb to it and snap out of it. Yeah. And sometimes others don't. And sometimes some characters are just fine until the very end. And there's no real explanation for that math. Like we cut down to engineering and BLT is like walking around and all of her staff are just like standing there. That's creepy as hell. I like that part. I mean, I like it too, but I don't know why she is not subject to the same shit because eventually she is like, eventually she's horning it up with Chakotay and it's like her fantasy of getting it on with the first officer. That moment escalates so fast. I was shocked. (laughs) So shocked by it. I know. I was like, well, certainly we're going to cut back to another character, but no, no. we cut into the fucking bedroom. I'm going to fill you up. What? I'm going to fill you up. Just let me do the talking. When we cut to the bridge, we see Paris fucking his dad. (laughs) (laughs) We get to see everyone fucking their hallucination. Yeah. And it's a real, like, hate fuck with Paris and his dad. Yeah. Like, you can tell that they don't get along great, but they're... (laughs) But they're still horny as hell for each other. Yeah. Sometimes a hate fuck is just the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Janeway starts to realize that she's going to have to take matters. You're going to come too early, just like you always do. <laughs> <laughs> you always say you're going to keep it up for a long time, but you can't. It's going to be another teaspoon of disappointment from you. <laughs> Look at that very disappointing dick and balls. <laughs> you don't even look related to me, your old man, with this great big thick dick and balls. <laughs> look at all the pips I can put on the sides of this bad boy. The Paris line is truly broken with you. <laughs> we were legendary for our hogs, and now... I could dangle a dress uniform off of this sack. <laughs> <laughs> I You're try my not dr- my real son. Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Captain Janeway can't get a hold of anyone yeah. like at all. And we get a number of scenes like this from a variety of people. Like, will anyone answer this call? This general shipwide call? And so she gets on the elevator to go down to engineering. The plan is like they can do something with the warp field to like break up whatever mm-hmm. signal is affecting them. But uh, hopping on the elevator, she first finds a catatonic Chakotay who never made it to engineering, who then morphs into Tom Mervins. And he's like, hey, got a new puppy. Brand new puppy. What do you think of this? Boston Terrier. Nothing like the dogs we've had before. And then the puppy starts fucking Tom Mervins. <laughs> fucking sick. Oh, <Ugh>, nasty. <laughs> this scene is so important. You have to run into Chakotay again mm-hmm. to believe that he didn't just finish fucking BLT. Yeah. And he's like covered in gawk in, <laughs> in the turbo lift. Like... If you don't get this scene, you believe it happened. Right. Yeah. I was glad that it didn't. Because I think that there's something very interesting about the idea that it... BLT doesn't even seem to, like, really be in touch with that instinct in herself. She is surprised by the fact that she's fucking Chakotay, almost. Does the shaft match the forehead? (laughs) (laughs) You're, You're asking if he has dong tats? Yes. Yeah, well, if he does, they're extremely inaccurate, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I'm sure one he regrets. <laughs> the Tom Mervyn's delusion is effective. 
Because by the time the turbo lift doors open, like Janeway is catatonic. She's under the spell of whatever this is. It's cut from her making out with Tom Mervyn's two doors opening and she's standing by herself with yeah. a thousand yard stare. I thought it would have been great if Chakotay had just been standing right behind her. I wanted that I think too. that's a bit of a continuity error. Yeah, that would have been great. But I think... Honestly, the difficulty of selling that shot and having it not look silly. And not be a laugh. Yeah, yeah. I think that's tough. Yeah. I wonder if they shot it both ways and like saw how it played in the edit. I wonder that. Because every time you see main cast characters in that catatonic state, I feel like they're singles or you're panning on the bridge and you're seeing all of them in succession. Right. There might be something about seeing them together that would just look weird. Yeah. We're down to the Doctor and Kess. They are the only two people aboard the ship that seem to have been able to resist this so far. And the Doctor's like, listen, Kess, like, I'm stuck in here. You've got to go down to engineering and finish whatever BLT started. And Kess is like, I've been training with medicine, not with engineering. I don't know what the hell anything does down there. I could push a button and eject the warp core. When the Doc asks her, how hard can it be? That is such an amazing Star Trek question. And I was stuck in that moment for a long time thinking about it because the computer could be a TI-82 graphing calculator (laughs) where you need specific intelligence to get it to create the thing you want it to create. Right. Or you're like, hey, computer, how do I eject the warp core? Teach me. And, And it happens like that. Or just do it for me, computer. I can't just eject the warp core for anyone who asks. What are you? Nuts. What kind of computer is it? We find out that she has to like manually insert an algorithm yeah. later on. So it's a bit more the TI-83. It's very... It'd be an extremely bad look if Kess steps up to the station and she can like do something very complex that people have gone to Starfleet Academy for many years to learn how yeah, to do. Yeah. It's a unique system. I mean, it it definitely reminded me of that meme that goes around sometimes that's like the screenshot from Tumblr of somebody describing Starfleet people as just like the hold my beer of technology users. Right. Like, yeah, our ship like barely works and it's always breaking and we just like fix it on the fly and deal with whatever situation. Right. So she heads down there. She passes burn victim Tom Paris in the hallway, which is the first indication that she may be starting to succumb to some of these delusions herself. But she kind of powers through it. Great, great performance by B-Dunks here. B-Dunks does a great job. Neelix comes in. He has kind of the last ditch effort to try and stop this process that Kess is going to try and put into place. Or seems like he might be until she gets her own Bernie boils all over her face. It, it looks like the ZX gas from The Rock. It's one of those things we wish we could disinvent. I really had cystic acne flashbacks in this scene. Oh, no. I, uh, very painful. Very haunting to see again. I was eating a sautéed kale that was like leftovers from a few days ago. We, we were just in the northern part of the state. My wife and I, and we brought- In a part of California's gold. Wow. Yeah, in a part of California's gold, and we brought some leftovers home, and I was eating this kale, and I was like 85% sure it hadn't spoiled, but like kale has some like intense aftertaste, and I was like, is this, am I tasting mold? I'm not sure if I'm tasting mold, and this popped on screen while I had like a mouthful of that, and I was like, 
Ooh, nasty. <laughs> I love the choice here to not just do a little, but to do a lot. Yeah. Because the way Jennifer Leon sells her pain is consistent with what you're seeing on her face. Yeah. And I don't want to see five out of five pain and five out of five pus. I want to see 10 out of 10 pus and 10 out of 10 pain. And that's what you get here. The doc has to like talk her into powering through it. Neelix like shuts the FaceTime. I like time. evil Neelix. Yeah. He's cool. And somehow she is able to mirror effect the pus onto him. Yeah. Which is like picking up on that mechanic that is established in the first scene where she repels the creepy little girl. Yeah. So he is uh, writhing on the floor and changes shape. And we finally get a good look at this creepy alien for the first time because Kes has been able to trigger the effect, activates the warp field, saves the day, and everybody starts snapping to it. And this alien is like in a heap on the floor because he was subject to his own uh, medicine, I guess. I love this guy's performance, this big psionic energy that he's got. (laughs) He's clearly like, quote unquote, captured here. And everyone is treating him like he's captured. Yeah. But he's not treating the situation like he's captured. Yeah. Almost felt like a deus ex machina that he just disappears. But there is a kind of Star Trek episode that is about like space is a mysterious place and crazy shit can happen to you and you have no control over it if you undertake to go on adventures in outer space. So few times in Star Trek, the that thing goes away and you never know where it came from or if it existed in the first place. Yeah. And that, that Twilight Zone aspect to this episode is what I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. It does not feel satisfying, but I think that that's the point. Yeah. You're not like, well, we'll never have to deal with that guy again. It's like, wow, we might have to deal with that fucking guy again. I'm glad we have Kess because he was like really scared of her. She's the one person on board that he was scared of. I'm not so sure I got that read. I thought I thought he was utterly confident at his situation and was not afraid of anyone. He was just annoyed that Kess outed him. Because he's like, You're you've got some you've got some game. You're a powerful little thing. Yeah, I think it was a game respect game thing there, more than anything. Yeah. But, like, a game respect game in a way that I think that he has fucked around and found out, and I don't think he's going to fuck around again. He's going to take a break from fucking around? Yeah. <laughs> you watch a lot of Frasier, right? Did you recognize this guy? I have not watched a lot of Frasier. I thought you were doing a Frasier rewatch I'm a, recently. I'm, I've been working, working my way through Cheersman. Cheers very slowly. It's a, uh, it's like a, uh, late at night, we got maybe a half hour in us, not, not a full hour-long television program. This guy who played the Bothan, Patrick Kerr, was like a regular character on Frasier, like a featured player on Frasier, whose character was known for being obsessed with Star Trek. I need Scott Bakula's autograph to make my collection complete. Typecasting. Wow. I thought he was great in this episode. Yeah. Very... Good energy. Very menacing alien and real creepy, like when we get to see his face finally. Mm -hmm. Like, oof. Do, yeah. do not trust. Do yeah. not like. The vacant eyes of a creep. The button on the episode is in the mess hall. It follows a brief captain's log where Janeway can't explain what happened or if it happened at all. And that's that creepy vibe we were alluding to earlier where it feels very Twilight Zony. BLT chats up Janeway in the mess hall. Clearly the thought weighing heavily on her mind. The idea of maybe being attracted to Chakotay. Yeah. Mind-fucking him, clearly. 
do I want to actually do this? Being the like implied question. And triple and quadruple checking with Janeway that Chakotay was in that turbo lift with him earlier. <laughs> like he was definitely in there, right? And that was not Chakotay Prime I was fucking. Yeah. They kind of agree. Like there were things that were revealed to them about things that are happening inside their own minds that they didn't care for. How do you recover from this? Like, we make the joke all the time about, like, wow, that we're just going to turn the page and do another episode next week, and yeah, there will be yeah. no reference to the one that came before. This seems like something you need a moment to just sort of sit with. <laughs> you need uh, some time to to do some work. Yeah. Maybe a little EMDR. Yeah. Maybe a little havening. Yeah. Everybody got, like, their worst thought. Yeah. And I think that, like, these are relatable in the way of like there are things that occurred to me in my mind that I would never give voice to that just like pop into your head and then you're like wow I can't believe that thought happened to me right and they had to like live with those as being real for a second as delusions right yeah it's, Fucked up. It, it ends like it's totally unsolved like it's a stare off into the middle distance and then we throw to credits yeah <laughs> And I kind of like that about the end. I do too. Did you like the whole episode though, Adam? I had a really hard time with the inconsistency of how the dementia was spread around the crew. And I guess I can get with the idea that if it's a wave, like if it's a physical thing, as I think they alluded to earlier when they're scanning it, they're like, this wave is crashing into us and it's affecting the crew. I can get with it hitting some crew people first and building up in them before it moves on to others. And maybe it's not a symmetrical wave. Maybe it's oozing through the ship in some weird Mm -hmm. way. But I don't like how long I lived with the question of why... BLT was moving on about her business for as long as she was like, yeah. When everybody else in her section was not able to anymore. Any stitch of dialogue I feel like could have helped like her proximity to the warp core shielded her temporarily from it. Like, yeah. Or there was like like the implication that like looking at the view screen was, was a problem Mm -hmm. for the people on the bridge. So if they'd been like, if she'd been like, yeah, I was like working on this algorithm. So I didn't, I wasn't monitoring communications. I don't know. But that thing you were describing at the end about like the all powerful beingness of who we got to meet and the mystery of where they came from or if they they existed at all superseded that weakness in the episode to me that made it one that I really liked watching and talking about. Like it yeah. was it was weird as hell. It was a great weird episode and I think the mystery of his character does so much to compensate that I honestly think that like I could watch it three more times and feel like, Oh, like there is actually like a really consistent logic to this that I just didn't get because it's like a little bit subtle or something. Like I, it's an episode that I would like gladly rewatch, which if I felt like it was a train wreck, I wouldn't feel that way about, you know? Yeah. One of those episodes that, is probably more fun to talk and joke about than it would be to like scrutinize academically. Yeah, maybe it would fall apart under (laughs) more scrutiny. A serious Star Trek podcast would hate this episode, but not us. Yeah, we're not serious. Yeah. We're bad at this. Speak for yourself. You know, uh, who's good at stuff is our listeners at leaving Priority One messages, Adam. Do you want to uh, 
head into the inbox and see what we have waiting for us? We've got no choice. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Well, our first priority one message is from Jake, a.k.a. Defested. We've heard of Defested. Sure have. And uh, it's to Becca and Joe in Bristol. It was like this. Bought this while viewing the finale of GG colon DS9 as it dropped. Hoping this was a better use of my money than screwing hedge fund managers by buying GameStomp. <laughs> wow. Was that happening right as our... Uh, it must have been. I always love the idea of screwing hedge fund managers, though. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so pick your poison, I guess. I mean, there, there are few better uses of money than that, but uh, <laughs> but maybe getting a P1 is one. Uh, thanks, Becca and Joe, for showing me GG when we all lived in England together. Miss you both. There's a reason my license plate became Borg's when I moved back stateside. Wow. How is that one even available? Damn, Borgs. That is great. I wonder if we'll ever see Defested out there on those on those highways and byways, Adam. I'll be looking now. Probably see Defested uh, over on Twitch. Borgs. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Defested, for getting a P1. Do you think Defested has not just the customized Borg's license plate, but it's also like the design one, like the whale tail or, <laughs> or like the square dance one or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from Matt L from Utah. ICAC. Is that, does that mean something? Should I know what that means? I don't know what that means. It is to Ben, Adam, Rob, and my twin brother, Jason. The message goes like this. Thank you so much for the show. You remain a needed respite from a challenging ICAC prosecution career as I listen on my lunch break along the river path by my office. Or along the route by my pandemic satellite office, which is the kitchen table. (laughs) Thank you, Ben and Adam. Also, I wanted to tell my twin brother, Jason L., I love him and he's amazing. Man, I think we met Matt L. after a live show one time. Are you sure that wasn't Jason L., though? Oh, uh, I'm not positive, but um, I I, uh, I think I recently discovered a challenge coin from ICAC. That's... In my, uh, in my away bag. I knew it was familiar. Yeah, because I was just on that trip, and I was like, oh, what's this challenge coin in here? And I, I was reminded of this. Uh, I think Matt prosecutes people who do bad things to kids and that has got to be really really hard thing to live with on a day-to-day basis so uh we really appreciate that work that's doing great work out there thanks matt yeah shout out to jason l uh thank you for also probably fine at at whatever jason l does like also also doing meaningful work i'm sure you don't not everybody has to work at icac uh (laughs) You know, like we need, it takes all, all, all forms. Like people, people ask Jason L if, if he's Matt L and he's got to be like, no, I don't work at ICAC and that's fine. I still, I still have a good job. I'm I'm not. Or maybe I don't have a job and that's also okay. Yeah. Why do we have to like conform to these capitalistic ideals of what is, what is an identity person? Like, like why is the first question that is asked of a stranger often, what do you do? (laughs) Why should that matter? Yeah. It's fucked up. Also, why do twins always play pranks on us? 
But uh, thank you to Matt L. And thank you to Defested, a.k.a. Jake, for uh, getting P1s. Jake if, also probably has a fine job, yeah. or not. We we could never know. I mean, Jake is probably just ripping off hedge fund managers by uh, tricking them into shorting stocks that uh, they I'd shouldn't take that short. Job. Yeah. I'd leave Greatest Gen to do that professionally. Wow. Shoot. Uh, okay, well, we are going to be uh, putting up a casting call pretty soon for the newest co-host of The Greatest Generation. Watch Matt L. Uh, apply for that job. <laughs> it's like, I'm ready to take a break from ICAC. <laughs> yeah. Going to have a lot of pathos to draw on, I bet, yeah. as a uh, as a comic voice. Um, but uh, thanks to everyone who got a P1. Uh, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron if you uh, would like to get one. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a promotional message. And they help support the production of the show. We love them. We love them. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Hey Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I thought for sure it was going to be Janeway for that power move of checking herself out of the hospital. I love that move every time. (laughs) But the more I think about it, I think I'm going to give it to B-Dunks. Yeah. That, what he does out in the hallway with the facial fry, I loved. I responded to it deeply. Yeah. It seems like a hard thing to do. To be convincingly in pain like that and have a have like that low fall over your face. Yeah. I think he was fairly persuasive. I was surprised that Kess had such an easy time leaving him. I, that's how strong I felt his performance was there. It was it was hard to watch. Yeah. And that scene works so well because of how hard it is to watch. Yeah. If it feels like a trick, like he's not actually hurt and Kess walks away, it has no impact. Yeah. So, really nicely done. He is also my drunk Shimoda. I have never seen Varsity Blues, the movie, or the television show. What? But everyone knows, I don't want your life. And the way he talks to his dad really, really took me back to that James Vanderbeek moment in that trailer that I have seen. And uh, Big moment. I get a kick out of his whole performance in this episode. Wow. Yeah. High praise for Robert Duncan McNeil. Yeah, indeed. Who we're we're trying to make B dunks a thing. Yeah, we gotta we gotta make B dunks a thing. I mean, nobody tell him before us. We want no, we yeah. want to be the people that break that to him. When we meet him at a convention wearing the Air Jordan logo shirt that is instead B dunks, <laughs> <laughs> coming soon to the Uxbridge Shimoda yeah. online store. Yeah, let that be us. <laughs> All right. Well, Adam, uh, we got to start talking about plans for the future. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, a lot got of- Got a couple of job openings. A lot of plans for the future happening here and, uh, at the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporation. Yeah. One of those is uh, what episode we will be watching next and how we'll be watching it. Of course, our next episode is season two, episode nine of Star Trek Voyager. It's called Tattoo. <laughs> Chakotay is stranded on a moon inhabited by natives with ties to his ancestors. Oh, I'm going to love this episode. Uh, this, this is going to be great. This is we are sailing into dangerous territory. We're going to we're going to learn about the dick tattoo this episode, huh? We're, we're going to learn about the dick tattoo. We're going to learn fake shit about uh native culture. <laughs> we're going to we're going to know what's in his bindle. Yeah. Wow. We also 
have to figure out how we're going to be doing it, though. So I got to head to gach.biz slash game. Yeah, which recently uh, sent us down to the beginning once again. We skipped over the Mornhammered, and we're uh, we're back at one. Back to one. We could hit a Delta Flyer, a Janeway, which would take us up to a His Eyes Uncovered Square. That's the Temerian... Five Tamarian sayings one. Yeah, Tamarian metaphor square could be in our future. But that's the only thing we can hit. Otherwise, uh, a, a a regular old episode is is guaranteed. A one in six chance to have something interesting happen next week. <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, Adam, I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Wow, big roll. I hit the six. We are on square seven. Regular old episode next week, my friend. Big roll. That puts us on the doorstep of that caretaker. We're only three squares away from the caretaker. So shit could happen, man. Banjo Man looms over our runabout right now. I'm fine with that. It's been a long time since we've been in proximity to Banjo Man. Yeah. It's been almost two months. I know. <laughs> it's wow. been a lot longer since we've done this show in person. It's feel It feels good to have done. It does way. feel good to have done. It feels good to do it for the Friends of DeSoto, and we really appreciate the Friends of DeSoto for listening. Thanks to everyone who listens. Thanks to everyone who leaves a nice review or even does the big thing and heads to MaximumFun.org slash join and becomes a supporter of the show. All of that support is really deeply appreciated if you'd like to get involved with the community aspects of being a friend of DeSoto we really encourage it there are great Facebook groups there's the DrunkShimoda.com Discord there's the Reddit there are the hashtags GreatestGen and GreatestDiscovery on Twitter where we have social media account uh, at GreatestTrek we also have at GreatestTrek on Insta uh, those are run by our buddy Bill Tilly, the card daddy, who we are able to pay for his services due to the generous support of the Friends of DeSoto. Love the card daddy. Do love that. Love all these communities out there that are that are 99.999% positive and fun. I don't feel like many fan communities can say that. It's true. It's really true. I love it, and it's something that I'm proud of. I'm, so, it's, I'm proud of it, and I have no responsibility for it. <laughs> yeah, we... We really can't claim any of the accolades for that. It's probably great because I didn't do it. <laughs> we got to thank Adam Agusia, who made the original theme song, the Janeway song for this show. Uh, of course, working off of the Picard song uh, made by Dark Materia, who granted us permission to use that all those years ago. Thanks to both of you. And uh, if you're interested in cooking, Adam Ragusia is now a super, super successful YouTube cook. Teach you how to cook delicious food and learn about the science behind it and uh, how things are produced and why you should care. Check it out. Adam Ragusia on YouTube. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where we are bringing in a consultant uh, <laughs> like a you know like somebody to kind of like talk us through the sensitivities of talking about a subject like this but they will have no real qualification
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.